0: Welcome to the Endurance Horse Podcast, where endurance riders from all across the globe gather, sharing their stories, goals, and progress as they train for and compete in endurance events at every level. So kick off your shoes, pull up a chair, and listen as we gather around the virtual campfire and listen to friends from across the world.
1: Hello, and welcome to episode 41 of Endurance Horse Podcast. This is your host, Chris and... Jim. And um, I'm sorry we've had such a delay. We haven't had a lot of episodes coming out lately, but we had a pretty big tragedy happen to us back in October, and I knew that the next episode of this podcast was going to have to be about that, and it honestly took me a long time to be able to talk about this at all. So, um, we lost Houdini.
2: Very sad.
1: Yeah, it's, it's been since October, and I still can't talk about it, but if the podcast is to go on, episode 41 has to be about him. So, today I'm making myself sit down
2: and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Yep, it's good to get it out. I mean, he'll be forever missed. And what happened was very tragic. And we're hoping with this podcast, we can get the word out there and a warning out there for other people so they can avoid the same tragedies.
1: So if you've listened to the podcast from the beginning, um, there's always an odd number like the, The podcast will say this is podcast episode 41, but it'll say that we have 42 episodes because um, one one spring day I was riding Houdini and I was recording for a running podcast. And then I thought, you know, wow, we could do this for endurance people. And so Houdini was kind of always my muse. And so there's a very short, um, before episode one, there's something called the Houdini intro. And um, he was kind of my inspiration for Endurance Horse podcast. So some of you that follow us on the War Horse Conditioning Challenges or on my personal Facebook, you already know what happened. Um, one Friday morning when I was walking him out, he was just a slight stiffness in his left hind. And I thought, oh, you know, he's 18 and he probably played too hard and because um, he liked to rear up and and mess around with Shadrach, and so I just thought, "Mm, he just overdid it. It was barely noticeable. If you didn't know him, you probably wouldn't have noticed, and I honestly forget where I went or what I did that day, but when I came home, my son said, Mom, Houdini's kind of dragging his hind toes. I said, okay, we'll go get him. We'll check him out, and when I brought him up, um, he was for sure dragging both hind feet, and I had known and been familiar with EPM, and I knew some of the field tests to give him, just these basic things to see if he could perform them, and he, he could not at all. So I called the emergency vet line. It was after 5, so I had to call for an emergency, and I said, look, I'm I'm really sure this is EPM. I want him treated right away, and um, and they sent a vet out. Um. That was not my most positive vet experience of my life. She insisted that he had neck arthritis and she really wouldn't let that go. I told her, I know this horse. And I, I'm not going to get much more into that vet visit because it was quite negative. But I, in a long story short, we had to demand to have blood drawn for EPM to be tested. And um, <sighs> he just went downhill from there. The next day... We had to call emergency line again. He was much worse and struggled to stand. It's like he knew I needed him to get out into the opening area of the barn. We have a pretty wide aisle that's graveled and it was hard. But he got out into the middle of the barn for me, I was able to get him. He all of his might to get up, and we were holding him up just kind of like letting him lean on us. I'm not going to go into all the details. Long story short, the next vet that came out said we had to quit supporting him so she could see what we were talking about. And sorry if she's listening, but it's the truth. I, I did tell her if we let loose of him, he would go down. He would never get back up. And that's what happened. He went down and he never got back up. Um, we... We're quite dedicated to him. We slept out in the barn with him in the cold October night. Jim and I took turns staying awake, and Jim carried him water. Every time he looked at us, we had to keep turning him over. We had him deeply bedded in the middle of the barn, and it became clear. He had no more use of his hind legs, and we had to make the decision that Sunday to let him go. His blood test came back, that yes, he was positive. His blood tests were 4,000. They
2: were very high. Yeah. I mean, Houdini was an awesome horse, and and he's forever going to be in our hearts. And I guess my hope with this podcast would be that, yeah, the word gets out there, and at least it'll be in the back of people's minds if something's going on with their horse, you know, that it's a possibility. Because if you don't get after it right away, the odds are against you. And unfortunately, there's so many different treatments and so many different things that you can do for it. You know, so hopefully getting the word out there and it'll help another horse and, and it won't be in vain.
1: This was a hard one for me to talk about. I am very tied to my horses and and especially Houdini. He was like woven right into my heart. So when he left, it was quite painful for, for our whole family. Um, he was not my competition horse. Um, he didn't have to be my competition horse, you know, but he was definitely a champion in my heart. Just seeing him every day made me so happy. Um, he was my go-to guy, had so many good times and good memories with that horse, and I will miss him forever.
2: And so will I, and uh, like I said, hopefully something good will come with this podcast.
1: Yeah, hopefully, like Jim said, this will stick in the back of your mind. And if you notice any of the symptoms that you're going to hear later on in this episode, you know, maybe you'll drop the $100 or so that it is to get tested and just rule that out. So without further ado, we bring to you episode 41 of Endurance Horse Podcast.
2: Bye.
3: This is the story of my horse named Pal. So I grew up riding horses. I was lucky enough to grow up at a local day camp that also had an extensive riding program on the weekends. My dad was a director of the camp, so I was able to go for free. When the camp closed when I was 13, I would babysit and work hard to earn money to catch rides wherever I could. I was not a great rider, but I loved horses and I loved to ride. My dad thought that I would outgrow it. However, I am 57 and I am still riding. So that never happened. When I was 26, I bought my first horse. His name was Pal, um, affectionately known as Pal Henry, because I just love the name. And he was definitely my pal. He was my heart horse. Um, Right after college, I went and taught in Florida and I taught in Europe and I did some riding there. And then I came home and decided it was time to get a horse. So a friend who provided horses for Girl Scout camps and I went to an auction. I had $800 in my pocket and we walked around the auction and I didn't see any horse I liked, but we sat and watched the horses come through and she saw Pal first and she said, I think you need this horse. He is awesome looking. And if he doesn't work out, I'll buy him for the Girl Scout camp. So I was like, oh, well, that's a win-win. That's fantastic. So go ahead and let's buy the horse. So we bought Pallet an auction for $775, ironically. And the last $25 that I had in my pocket went to her for hauling him home. We had um, an interesting story together because he got hurt the first week I had him. He was living in her backyard with all the other girl's Scout horses. I ended up having to board him and then I ended up loving that so I stayed at boarding facilities and learned dressage and learned a little bit more about jumping than when I was a kid. And he was a, a quarter horse so he was all around good for everything except not so good for dressage cuz he was really built downhill. But he had great lateral movement and could leg yield like nobody. Uh, He spent some time in my backyard when I was pregnant with my kids. I moved him home for a while and then I decided he really needed to be ridden. So I went back to a boarding barn and that's where the trouble with EPM began. I actually think he probably got EPM at my house because about a month into the new boarding situation, the trainer who was working with us called me and said, "Um, pal won't leg yield which was really bizarre because Pal always could leg yield. That was the one thing he was really good at, moving off the leg. So uh, she said, I think you need to have the vet out. So I had the vet come out, and she looked at him while he was standing in the field, and he was standing there with his front legs crossed, eating, and he had no idea where his legs were. And she just took one look at me, and she said, it's EPM. And I had never even heard of EPM at that point. Uh, This was in about 2000 so you know i don't know how much epm was around before then but i was the first person i knew who had a horse with epm so she did some testing on him did some blood work and came back and said yes he has epm well at that time i had two little kids and i had gotten divorced and i used pal as my emotional support animal and i talked to him and cried with him and did everything but ride him because I just didn't have time with two little kids and working full time and trying to make everything work. And I looked at the vet and I said, we have to save him. I don't care. And she said it would be really costly, but you know, we can try. And, and he seems to have had a lot of neurologic symptoms. You know, he didn't know where his front legs were. He couldn't move sideways. He had some, you know, things going on that were very problematic. So I checked my bank account. And again, he's the horse that defies the odds. I said, I have $2,000 in my bank account. If we get too close to the $2,000 mark, we're going to have to put him down because I can't afford it. I have two little kids. You know know the story. So um, we started a treatment. And I believe it was just some kind of broad-based antibiotic back then. And we treated him for three months and he was racking up the bills and again this was in 2000 so you know he was not and at that point i had had him for 9 years and i wasn't ready to let him go and i said all right one more month one more month and when i had spent 1775 he was quote unquote cured so you know i almost killed my whole savings deposit on him but he was, you know, cured of EPM. Um, We had a few side effects after that. He would be intermittently lame. And I wasn't 100% sure that how safe he would be. So I rode him sporadically on a trail ride here and there. I never leased him again. I never rode him, you know, seriously again. Um, But again, I was raising kids and You know, life was just in the way. So my friend who had helped me buy him originally said, well, why don't you bring him out here and he can live in my pasture for the rest of his life? So I paid a monthly fee to her and he literally lived out his days with her. Um, I bought him in 1991 when he was five and he passed away at her house at the age 32 or 33 um, in about 2019. So he lived a great long life. I credit that to the good care he had when he had EPM, but also to living in this big pasture. It was a 10 acre pasture with a run run-in shed and he was outside all the time. He loved being outside. He was never in the barn, which was a good thing because as he grew older, he got heaves and he roared and he ended up turning blind. But he was happy, 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 and even at 32, her grandkids would, you know, get little pony rides on him, and he was safe as could be, and so happy and chunky, you know. And then I think he probably had cushing's at the end as well. But um, I was very lucky that my friend was so generous of letting him live in her backyard. When I took him there for his final retirement. She had five other horses, and I didn't feel bad. And he was the youngest of the lot, and he ended up, no, I'm sorry, he was the oldest of all of them. And he ended up outliving every single one of them. And then she bought him a pot pig, and he outlived the pot pig. So um, I guess any advice I have is, you know, y- y- you got to be reasonable. He was my heart horse. I didn't want to do anything but save him. We were very lucky that I was able to save him. Um, if I was in a place where I was competing or wanting to ride seriously, it would not have worked out and I would have had to find him, you know, a, a retirement home like I did. Um, so I guess everything worked out for Pal and I, but, um, advice would just be do, do what you need to do and do what you're comfortable with. Um, I was lucky that I had a cushion in the bank account or I could not have done it. Uh, He was lucky in that he recovered pretty quickly and I had a retirement place for him. Um, I will say that that I was devastated when he passed away, even though he lived such a long, wonderful life. And I'm really glad that I had the chance to have Pal in my life because he helped me through an awful lot of, of things and, you know, life struggles. But EPM is not necessarily, you know, a death notice. And especially now with new and improved techniques, and procedures, and medications. I think you can go on and have a great life with your horse. Best wishes.
4: I was a horse crazy girl from the jump. My first pony was a Welsh named Spotty, who was too big for me at five, but we used to get led around by my father, four kids deep. We tried five once, but he dumped termite in a rose bush with the flick of his hip. He kept jumping out of our fences. And then he went to live on a farm with lots of kids. My second pony was a Palomino Shetland, my sister named JJ. I was about seven then and lived and breathed with that pony. My favorite thing was doing the show pony rearing up with him in front of the front yard in front of my mother. She hated it. We moved to a tumble in the fourth grade and sold him. That was a hard day. The next time I had a horse was around 20. I co-leased a quarter horse named Kidlet. We rode trails and trained to dressage. One of my greatest memories, one amazing rocking horse, canter on the trails early one morning. I started a family at 24 and chose to forfeit horses. He lived with my sister until he passed. When my son was about 16, I got involved with a rescue group and adopted Pete, a paint horse, and Autumn, a halflinger. I had them for 13 years. Pete passed away in February 2019 and Autumn is living with my friend. My next horse, Chance, was with me for five days before he passed away, but that's a story for another time. Hank is the horse of my heart and the one in this podcast. I had two strokes in 2014. I needed a safe, reliable, good old boy that'd been there, done that, wrote the book, sold the t-shirt, and would take care of me, not dump me on my head. After Chance, I was heartbroken, and I put a plea out because I had looked forward to riding all summer that i was looking for a good old horse that was sitting in a pasture somewhere and i was fully expecting to have to rehab an animal jill called me and said hey i think i have a horse for you hank was a lifetime trail horse and had a injury in his front leg that did not allow him to stand on a tie line at night anymore because they camped a lot with their horses he needed to be free to move around to keep the arthritis from flaring up and not go on long, long trail rides. Hank knew his job, and he loved it. The first time I got on him, I cried for ten minutes, standing next to him on a stump. Two years prior, he'd had a bad fall from Pete and injured my back. Hank stood waiting and finally turned as if to say, Are we going or what? He took care of his people, saved my life twice, and a friend's life on the trails. He was a mediator in the herd, had a serious poo face, He taught the colts to behave and watched over the more timid horses. About a year ago, my friend Robin was knocked down by the colts going out to get her horse in the pasture. Hank ran up the hill to her, ran off the culprits, and lowered his head so she could use his neck to get up. Then he walked her to the barn. Horses like him are born, not raised. On the trails, he was always game to explore the side roads. And twice last year, got everyone back to the trail when we went off-roading. It was a privilege to have had him in my life. He passed away January 25th of 2021 after a four-month battle with EPM. EPM has devastated me and taken an incredible partner. Like I said, Hank was a trail horse. He was a gift to me with the instructions that he was not to go on rides longer than eight hours and no mountain trekking. There was no danger of that. In five years, he was pampered and appreciated for just being Hank. The first symptoms of EPM, on a trail ride in August, he was tripping badly. He had always tripped some due to an injury, but this ride, we actually went down to his knees. I felt in my gut that something was wrong, but there were no other symptoms. It was the third long ride that week, and we chalked it up to age. He was 25 and exhaustion, deciding he was now limited to one or two rides a month because we don't trailer out that often. We ride around the barn, maybe 20 minutes at a time. In mid-October, the farrier noticed a weakening in his hind end and was the first to suggest EPM. I had no idea what I was in for. We did blood work and the results were inconclusive. We started him on medication anyway. He did not respond after two weeks and the vet said there was nothing more that we could do. We had a few days left. I was frantic and put a plea out on a Facebook group for someone to tell me a story of a good ending. One woman replied, and asked, have I tried combo? She had treated her 28-year-old horse who had made a full recovery and lived to 37 on that medication. I waited in the driveway for FedEx the next day and in three doses, he had made a miraculous improvement. The vet could not believe the change. This medicine bought us three months. We're in Iowa and in mid-January, we got hit with an Arctic temperatures that proved to be too much for him. I got the text on the 25th, it's time. He cannot stand to urinate today. I took off his blankets And he had lost all progress in 24 hours. We walked him to the bridge. Before he went down, we made eye contact and then he was gone. My hero and my friend. Advice. EPM is a harsh foe. Treatment is expensive and you may lose anyway. Read everything you can and be prepared to make the hard choice. Severe weather changes can seriously affect recovery. The day after I lost him, I read that someone was using a neck sweat for heat. I thought that was brilliant, but too late for us. Parting advice. Prevention, prevention, prevention. My remaining horses will be on a maintenance level of combo for the rest of their lives. Pay close attention to nutrition, stress, and environment. Those three things seem to have severe effects on horses who may be more susceptible to developing EPM. Treat aggressively if you can. It's a very expensive treatment. Before this experience, I had never heard of the disease, but most horses carry it in small measure, and I had never had a problem. Many people in the equine industry consider horses aged 16 and older as seniors. In my upcoming book, My Boy Hank, bonding with the senior, I explain many of the special considerations you may face when embracing the benefits of keeping your equine partner into their golden years or opening your heart to a senior. Hank was an amazing therapy partner, lifelong trail horse, and my personal guardian. Hank passed away in January 2021 at the age of 25 due to complications of EPM. This is our story, anticipated publication, March 2021.
1: I'd like to welcome to the podcast, Wendy Moss. She's from Michigan, and she has been doing endurance for almost 50 years. Is that right, Wendy?
0: That's correct. It's a long time, a lot of button busting.
1: How did you get into horses?
0: Like many of young girls, I was obsessed with horses, and my parents promised me a horse when I was 12. My 12th birthday came and went and no horse. So I went out and I bought myself a pony and put it in the garage. We didn't, we lived in the woods. My father came home. He was a little upset, but he let me keep it. And that pony went on through my, uh, all eight of my siblings and went to the farm down the road for all their kids. He lived to be about 40 years old. Wow.
1: That sounds like a good investment to me.
0: It was fun. The
1: reason I got a hold of you about this episode of the podcast is it's about EPM um and could you tell me a little bit about the horse that you had experienced EPM with
0: so my horse Silver Russian we call him Champ for short he's actually my daughter Jessie's we kind of invested him in him together um when he was four he was born in 99 and he raced on the track for one year won everything he entered but the people who owned him decided that the show ring, which was much more profitable than racing. So we got him and as a five-year-old, he went right into uh, competitive LD and, and endurance. He was a really difficult horse. And that when we first got him, he was a dog. And I figured that maybe he he was on steroids or something. We didn't really know it was on, but we persevered. And um, I think he did his first hundred uh, Fort Howell, and he came in fourth and got best condition at an FEI ride. And he doesn't have a lot of miles. He's got about three thousand. just close to 3,000 endurance miles. He's last year, 21, still running. He did, I think, 325s, 130, and a 50, and two BCs. In 2012, when you run, he came up a little short, tried it, and I thought, well, I better have an x ray So I had a speed x-rayed, but everything was good there. And so then I thought, well, I guess the next one is test for limes. I've had horses with limes before and we tested them for limes, but it came back with EPM. And I went, EPM? We don't have opossums in North Michigan. It's too cold, but we do get our hay from down south. So at the time, Marquise was really expensive and I didn't have a lot of money. So the vet recommended this controversial vet in Florida called Pathogens. it worked. And it was, it, it was amazing. only thing that um he shows i mean that was 2012 so it's been a few years the only thing that he still shows and he has is he'll stare he'll just put his head up in the sky and he'll stare for maybe three or four minutes i call it stargazing and the vet thought maybe that's where the protozoa lodged or you know he had some damage up there but we'll never really know he he seems fine i give him extra vitamin e and so really other the, than that, the main exactly. symptom you
1: noticed was short strided?
0: Well, with short stride, it comes a little bit of laziness and, and not as much energy. And when, when you use your horses and, you know, I, I put on a lot of miles racing, but I put on a lot more miles training. You know, we don't get to, we, you know, if we do four or five races a year, that's a lot for us, but we do we do a lot of riding. And when you ride your horse a lot, you notice the little thing and he was doing fine in racing he passed everything but to me there was just something that wasn't right and EPM from what I've heard there's all different symptoms I don't know if there's anything that's really you can say this is definitely EPM because like I thought he was headline. so
1: what advice would you give to other horse owners who are facing EPM with their horse
0: I guess the, the, the biggest advice I can say is EPM you see um minimum like my horse had Or you see somebody, you know, whose horse gets in overnight, they're done, you know? So, I mean, I think you just have to be really diligent and notice everything. You know, the slightest little thing, don't be afraid. I mean, it's all the money I spent on my horses, it's ridiculous, but don't be afraid to get somebody else involved. You know, if you think there's anything, anything at all, don't hesitate because in the long run, it could be nothing or it could be a lot
1: you know, you really need to test earlier than later for EPM, like you don't want to leave that as one of the last things to rule out. Because, you know, every day, every month that goes by that it's undiagnosed, just tragic.
0: Yeah, and I think I think a lot of times we just think, oh, we maybe we ran them too hard, or we worked them, trained them too hard, or there's something but because and I was just lucky, I was testing for limes, but it was a three way test. They tested for EPM, limes and uh, anaposalus plaza I think it is so a lot of it is a little bit of luck
1: well I know that you are on your way out the door and I just want to thank you for taking your time to talk with me about this definitely hoping this podcast will help at least one other horse
0: definitely and and when I was researching you know back in 2012 there are a lot of places that just treat every single year with marquees they just treat all especially their race horses or show horses they just treat them just in anticipation. Oh, I'm sorry for your loss. That's hard. It's a bummer.
1: It is. It took me, that's why there hasn't been an episode of the podcast for a while because it took me months to be able to even talk about it. Um, Cause it was just devastating. It was, you know, he was like the, it seems weird to say it, but he was like the healthiest horse in the barn. He looked amazing. He was always very healthy. And I, it, this just came on very suddenly. So it was, it was a, not something we were prepared for, we thought he had another ten years
0: yeah well i'm I'm excited to learn more about it too. It's, it's never ending, is it? isn't, not it?
1: Your horse that had EPm is still competing now, so you caught it early, and he was, he was able to come back, so there's hope for people
0: there there is hope, but i'm I'm not saying that I think I was more lucky than anything to catch it. I mean, and for him to survive because even if horses I know horses that do get treated, they don't survive. So I mean, there's a there's a little bit of luck in there too.
1: There is. Well, I'm glad you had the, I'm glad you had that luck. Hopefully, we'll get more people to be lucky because they'll they'll know about it now and they'll see it sooner. So thank you so much, Wendy.
0: You're welcome.
5: I think I got into horses when I was about ten years old by befriending some girls that owned them. After a few years. I somehow convinced my parents it was a good idea to buy me one. Um, I'm still not sure how I pulled that off, but I did. Um, they bought me a large pony, and I've, I've never looked back since. Uh, in my younger years, I did all sorts of trail riding, about every Western discipline you could imagine. And in adulthood, I tried jumping for a while. Yeah, my horse didn't jump just super great, so uh, I ended up settling on dressage. I've been riding, breeding, and training horses now for over 40 years. I think it was around 2006, I lost a three-year-old Morgan mare to what the vets called a neurologic bladder. EPM wasn't mentioned much back then, and it wasn't until years later that I realized I actually lost her to untreated EPM. I guess you could say in that case, hindsight was twenty twenty. Uh, I looked back at the herd that she came from and several other uh, horses within the same herd in the same pasture uh, were lost due to mysterious neurologic disorders. And finally, one of them got tested and treated for EPM. And that horse recovered. So we're pretty sure that there was some access to, maybe opossums or something within that field that those horses came from. So fast forward to 2013, and I moved from Dallas, Texas, down to Austin. I brought with me my young dressage gelding, who was schooling. Um, yeah, he was schooling second level, he had a few oddities. Um, he have a day or two of shifting lameness. Sometimes he'd drip urine. I asked the vet to test him for EPM, but the vet convinced me to inject his hocks, inject his stifles, inject his fetlocks. I kept taking him back to the vet and we kept focusing on a new body part each time we went back. And since he was fit and well-muscled, he was still schooling well. The vet didn't see any reason to test um, for EPM. But every once in a while, he'd miss a movement, he'd take a funny step, miss a lead, or he just seemed like he was getting tired too quickly. One day, as I was walking him back from the barn, um, from the arena, he fell to his knees. And he didn't stumble and fall to his knees. He just fell to his knees, like his front legs were no longer underneath him. He didn't seem immediately to know how to get back up on his feet. Uh, It took a few minutes before he was able to uh, regain his footing. So then I went back to the vet, and I asked um, for an EPM test to be run. The vet still didn't want to do it, but I, I said, you know, it's, it's, it's my money, and I want to pay for it. So the vet went ahead and performed a neurologic exam, and he did draw uh, blood for EPM. In the neurologic exam, my gelding was grade three, uh, and of course the blood work came back in about the 95th percentile for EPM. So I went ahead and treated him, and he recovered fully the first time he got EPM. So after what happened with my gelding, I had um, my other horses tested. They were all positive. After I treated them, they got better in so many ways, the ways I hadn't even anticipated that they would get better. Um, things that I thought, oh, that's just this horse, turned out to be EPM. And those things went away. So, um I went on a mission to help other people with horses that had things that I thought were suspicious for EPM. I insisted several of my friends uh, have their horses tested and that were having you know, this problem or that problem. Those horses tested positive. Uh, They were all treated and they all recovered. Mystery, physical and behavioral problems were gone. In the meantime, my dressage gelding relapsed, was retreated, and he relapsed again. He actually relapsed a few times. So I started researching, documenting, analyzing just about everything. Um, And I dug deep. Uh, way behind the Google search results. I dove into university studies. I spoke to or emailed experts in various areas and developing a feeding protocol that stopped the relapses. My entire herd has been relapse free now for several years. For me, combination of moderate levels of vitamin E, B vitamins, um, and most importantly, sourcing hay from outside an EPM endemic area were the keys to preventing relapse. Since then, I've actually rescued several horses that were EPM positive. I was able to treat them, uh, rehabilitate them, and rehome them all successfully. My horses, they're all multidisciplined, from all things Western to carriage driving to trail riding. But I would say that their main job and emphasis was definitely classical dressage. And EPM has had a significant impact on their ability to do their jobs. The original dressage gelding that I spoke of earlier, he he did mostly the recover, but after several relapses, it was apparent that he had some permanent neurologic deficit uh, in his right hind leg. He can still do some dressage, but I have to tell him where to place his right hind leg with my aids, or he'll get the movement slightly wrong or take a misstep. He'll also get a bit sore, and I'm guessing that's just because he can't place his weight correctly on the limb. So I ended up retiring him, but after a while I decided to try him in a different area, and we started trail riding. It has been the best thing for him and to learn how to place his feet on various footing and changes in terrain and elevation. He's gotten stronger, more sure-footed, and he really doesn't get sore anymore either. At this point, If you didn't know he was an EPM horse, you wouldn't know. I think what I've learned from this is that if you really love your horse, forget the discipline. Do what the horse can do well and do what he enjoys. So after recognizing EPM and dozens of horses, there are certain conditions and symptoms that make me suspicious. For example, several of the horses lost condition quickly when they were out of work for a week or two. And if that's coupled with other symptoms, then it kind of Makes me think a little bit. Horses with other issues that tax the immune system already, uh, I noticed, are more prone, especially under stress, to come down with EPM-like symptoms. So basically anything out of the ordinary that can't be easily explained and corrected by a veterinarian, I would say is suspect if you're in an EPM area. Some things I've seen a lot, uh, and a lot of these can be explained by other conditions, but if those conditions are ruled out, then I would definitely suspect EPM. Uh, things I've seen: difficulty swallowing, choke, uh, droopy ears or lips. Those are those are the types of symptoms that really concern me uh, that need to be treated super early because it's affecting the front part of the body. And you know, to have to talk to a veterinarian about this, but uh, to me, it's. It's more affecting the brain and not the hind end so much. Uh, Things that affect more the hind end, uh, I've noticed horses not swishing their tail when a fly is irritating them. Not lifting the tail to urinate, not able to correct their stance back to normal if you pull on their tail. Another thing I've seen is shifting, unexpected lameness, especially if it's mild, it keeps changing. You just can't quite pinpoint it. As was the case with my dressage gelding, I have a friend who said that what she, she noticed with her horses is a, a sudden change in difficulty of lifting a hoof uh, for hoof picking or for the farrier. So I've also started paying attention to that as well. Other things I've noticed is the horse has a difficulty backing or difficulty navigating the hill or maybe it just looks a little funny when, from behind when being taken downhill. I've had several that developed cross cantering, regular tripping in the front end under saddle and a a few in the back end, straightness issues in any gait, walking sideways. There was a particularly interesting one where the horse's symptom was twitchy skin and not wanting to be touched. Uh, That one, we actually treated for ulcers first. And the horse didn't get better, so we tested for EPM, the levels were extremely high. Um, So we treated for EPM, and the problem went away. So the horse completely recovered and hasn't had that problem since. Uh, Other things becoming excessively spooky for no apparent reason, especially when the horse wasn't before. Unexplained loss of muscle tone, or the saddle uh, suddenly doesn't fit, especially if it's on one side, that it suddenly seems to not fit. So once I became my horse's advocate for EPM, the story started ending better. The mare I lost was a tragedy, but my dressage gelding mostly recovered, even though it took me a couple of years to to really figure out what his problem was and get it corrected. I'm just wondering if I had treated him for EPM earlier, you know, would he have fully recovered? I'd like to think he would have. I guess I'll never know, but I can tell you The other horses, the ones caught very early, they made full recoveries. And today I have a barn full of healthy horses, and EPM rarely crosses my mind. In my experience, you have to be your horse's advocate if you suspect EPM. Don't wait for your vet to mention it. Ask your vet about it. You can even insist on testing for it. The early symptoms are very, very subtle. And you know your horse best. You know what's different and you know what's changed. So definitely, definitely talk to your veterinarian about having the horse tested. I've helped dozens of horses come to complete recovery by recognizing the early symptoms and taking that information to my veterinarian, insisting on testing, and then if the horses are positive, doing treatment.
6: Hi, my name is Betsy Carl. I live in southern New Jersey. I'm 56 years old and I am owned by the world's best Palomino Quarter Horse, Awesome Macho Man. Mach is a 22-year-old foundation bred quarter horse. He's 1 hands high and about 15 hands wide. He's very old school and typey. Um... We have owned Macho since he was six years old. He was bought to be a family horse. Our daughter, who is 27, as well as I and her little brother, who's now 19, showed him in both Palomino and Quarter Horse breed shows. He did every event known to man, everything from Western pleasure through reigning, through Hunter Under Saddle, to even being the world's slowest barrel racer. When our son was about 10 or 11 years old, he announced he really didn't like riding around the ring in endless circles on the rail, and we boarded at an event barn. So he took riding lessons with the event trainer and did some dressage shows and rode cross country and learned to show jump, and the two of them were quite the pair. These days, our 27-year-old lives in western Pennsylvania. Our 19-year-old is in North Carolina in college. And it's Macho and I. And my husband, who is wildly indulgent to all of us. In the fall of 2017, we started to notice that things were not quite right in Macho's hind end. And I thought he had older horse hawk related issues. We had a vet who is very well known for his abilities with injections come and inject his hawks. And that helped a little bit, but still not quite right. It was early in 2018 when our farrier was out that APM was first brought up. Uh, I could not make a farrier appointment and Malcolm said, I'll just go out and I'll bring him in from the field and trim him. No big deal. And I thanked him profusely for that. Uh, I got a phone call saying, Betts, I went to bring him in and I thought I'd have to walk all the way out because he was at the far end. And when he saw me, he came cantering in, but he's sidewinding. I think he has EPM. I had not seen this, I bored my horse out. So, you know, you see your horse for one or two hours a day, you don't see them the other 22 hours to see what's going on. And no one had brought this to my attention. And I didn't know what sidewinding was. So Malcolm described sidewinding to me, and it's basically where, if your horse is cantering towards you, their front end is moving in a straight line towards you, but their hind end is canted, to the extreme, to the side. So I called my veterinarian, who is this wonderful older gentleman. And when I say older, he's in his late 80s now. He came out and drew blood, and we tested macho for both EPM and Lyme's. And he was positive for both, with very high titers for EPM. We opted to not do a spinal puncture we treated for Lyme's, and then we treated for EPM. And Doc is the kind of guy, he's constantly learning. He doesn't ever stop learning. And over the years, he has treated a lot of horses for EPM because as he explained to me, at one time, it was very, very common in the standardbred world for EPM to show up. He opted to use a lab, down in Florida called Pathogenes. And they are very heavily vested in investigating and doing research in EPM and in developing treatment protocol. So we utilized their program, which is called Oroquin 10. And it's basically a combination of Dequanate and Levamisole that is fed to the horse. We did that. In the long run, we ended up treating twice. And at one point, they were leaning towards the EPM, having progressed through to polyneuritis, which is another neurological disease. One of the things with, while we were treating with macho initially, for a while, it looked really bad. I watched him fall down at the end of the lunge line. He was so unsteady on his in his hind end. Uh, what happens is, Horses can, with the neuro, with the neurological problems going on, they can lose the power of proprioception, which is proprioception is body awareness. So their brain no longer connects what the hind end is doing to the front end. For example, was at the point where he could not back up even a couple of steps on the ground because he thought just couldn't feel his hind end and he didn't understand what we were asking. So we treated with that. We also put him on 10,000 IUs of vitamin E on a daily basis, split between two feedings. It turns out Macho really despises powder. So we found um, a pelleted form of vitamin E. And to fast forward to today, where we're at now, we did a lot of work to get to where we are now. And I learned really early to be very skeptical. A couple of things that I do do with my veterinarian's encouragement, I started to look at CBD sources. Uh, CBD is, it is not marijuana. It's not going to get your horse stoned. It's derived from hemp, not the marijuana plant. I work as a safety consultant within the insurance industry. And I had just gone to, uh, a seminar on medical marijuana as it applies to workers compensation and the pain management doctor there spoke very eloquently about cbd and about what it can be used for And one of the things that he brought up was that cbd can be as much as 20 times more powerful than aspirin as an anti-inflammatory so My vet and I started to talk about that, and I I started to investigate. I found Hope Botanicals, its owner, Jenna Brown, was able to answer most fact-based to my questions. And if she didn't know the answer to a question, she would say, I don't know that answer, let me see if I can get the answer for you. So ultimately, I I felt most comfortable with Hope Botanicals and the results have been amazing. I, I do think the CBD has helped keep him alive because we started, it, it took about three weeks, but we started to see a noticeable improvement. What I also did is um, there is a horse woman. Uh, she's a dressage trainer in California. Uh, her name is Jack Bellau. She's written several books on dressage exercises and Western dressage exercises, but she came out with a book called 55 Corrective Exercises for Horses, and it's not designed necessarily for a lame horse or a horse with health issues. It's really designed to just help any horse and uh, person team improve. For us, it's become Mach's Bible. It helps so much with increasing his proprioception and in his brain's ability to reconnect his hind end to the rest of his body. We have done all of the exercises. The book Lives at the Barn. Um, three years later, we still do those exercises. They, they are not going anywhere. Um, some of them are in the saddle, some of them in hand. And it was things like, I took, I I cried the day when he could back five steps under saddle. As hokey as that sounds, because it it meant things were happening. Good things were happening. So these days, we don't compete anymore. I will never ask him to canter or lope under saddle. We do walk and trot under saddle. He still likes doing pole work. He still likes all of his all of his jack exercises, as we call them. He loves to go for trail riding and we go hiking. My husband and I will take much hiking. Um, it's a great way to provide stimulation of a new area in a stress in a less stressed environment. One of the biggest things with EPM and polyneuritis is you really don't want to get your horse stressed. You, you really got to... Keep their lifestyle pretty stress-free so you avoid backtracking. We try really hard to do that. One of the questions Christine asked me to address was, what would my advice be to someone who has an EPM horse or who suspects EPM? Have a good veterinarian. Have a veterinarian who understands the disease, understands neurological disorders, and is willing to work with you. That is the number one thing. Our daughter, when she was 20 and in college, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And her neurologist told us, do not blame MS for everything that goes wrong in your life health-wise. If there is a problem, look to rule out every other cause before you blame it on MS. And it holds true for EPM. Before you blame everything on EPM, if your horse is diagnosed, also look at other things. What what could be a, an additional cause? Jack Ballow, as an author, her book is excellent. She gives me some good insights of, well, why don't you, have you considered trying this exercise with him? Because I bet you his back muscles could really benefit from it. Again, thank you so much, Christine, for having me on and have a good night.
1: This is Chris again. And when I first started gathering audio for this episode of the podcast, I was not sure I would be able to gather enough stories. But as you just heard, there were many stories to be shared. So I had to decide do I make this extra, extra large episode and add the veterinarian in here, or do I break it down into two or three parts? So this will be a to-be-continued episode of Endurance Force Podcast. I hope that these stories touched your heart and that you will remember them. They were a little bit more personal. I feel like you can learn a lot reading up on this, reading a book or reading an article. But I think you remember better sometimes. I do. When you listen to a story and you remember how that horse touched someone's life. So I have with me Alexandra, my daughter, my son Harlan, and they're going to try to say a few things about Houdini for his remembrance. Like Jim always says, Houdini and I had a really strong connection, but the truth is he was the family horse. Um, Everybody loved him. It's kind of like having the family dog. And in the last year or so, after Harlan's legs finally grew, he was tall enough to start riding Houdini. Do you want to just say something about Houdini's personality and all the rides you had on him and maybe how you used to pass me up and try to beat me down the trail on him? You got pretty good at riding him.
4: Yeah, I did. He was a pretty, he was a great horse. I really loved him. You know, He was smooth on riding. And
1: I liked him a lot. As you could see, he was he was really well-loved. I have a lot of pictures of him and Harlan together because the last, I think it was the last two years where he got to ride him a lot more. Um, you did get dumped off of him once though, didn't you? Yep. Yeah. We were halfway towards riding to an event. We rode from one parking lot on the trailhead and we were riding to the trail group party and Tara Leroy's daughter, Bailey, was having a birthday that weekend i think and we got her a birthday card right mm-hmm. and you put it in your saddle bags right mm-hmm. and that's why we kept going <laughs> he he did houdini cantered and and um harlan took a header in the nice deep soft sand he hurt his pinky and then we decided to keep going right yep and did you deliver your birthday letter to your friend mm-hmm. you did so that was a good thing. And then at the other end of the trail, Jim was waiting with the horse trailer and, and uh so we only had to ride that eight miles to get there. But it was good times with Houdini, wasn't it?
4: Yeah, it sure was.
1: So what's the biggest thing you remember about him?
4: The nice adventures riding him through the trails and
1: <sighs> Yeah. You did a really good job helping us take care of him there when he was not feeling good and actually it was you that noticed um that he was dragging his toes that day. Do you want to tell me about that? Uh, share your story so maybe somebody else can notice when their horse is doing that? And that was pretty good for somebody who was 12 years old at the time to notice that when Mom wasn't home.
4: Yeah. I started to notice when he was walking towards the trough that he started dragging his leg, his, uh, hoofs in that
1: and you did a good job telling me that when we got home, and then when we got him out, we noticed it was um, it was not good, right?
3: Yeah,
1: yeah. It it really hit Houdini hard and fast. So now, Alexis, you you never even I don't think rode Houdini because you rode the thoroughbred and the Tricaner mare, so you really didn't ride the Appaloosa horse, right? Yeah. But you always help with chores, so you're always helping with them. Mm -hmm. And riding next to you, which one you were riding him. Yeah, he's a pretty nice view to watch go down the trail, wasn't he, with his colors? He's so beautiful.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Do you have any memories about Houdini? Do you want to tell people? I like to knock things off the wall. (laughs) Yes, Houdini uh, definitely could reach and get into anything and untie himself. He had to be double-tied. If you put a bucket of brushes or anything by him, he definitely would would knock it over and get his little hooves on it.
5: He also liked to uh bath him on his hay. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. That is a weird Houdini quirk. He liked to pee on his hay. It's just one of those things. And um we'll we'll have to tell you about the, our little addition to our family later on. We have a young Appaloosa here now that's a baby and Strangely, he likes to pee on his hay, too. So I think he's got that same weird little habit. Anything you miss about him? I miss going camping with him. Yeah, we camped with him a lot. He was pretty special, so I was a mess after after he passed away. And I cried a lot, right? Like for weeks. <laughs> yeah, long time. And um, we had him cremated and I was just, they couldn't deliver his ashes back here when Jim was home and someone had to be here to accept them. And I put it off and put it off getting those ashes sent here, but it, you know, wasn't something Jim could really take the day off of work for. And Jim had already sacrificed to do that when his body was picked up by the cremation company. So I couldn't be here for that. So I made sure that we left. And um, But Alexis said, don't worry, I'll do it. Because when it when I heard the the truck wasn't supposed to be here until later in the afternoon, and when I heard FedEx come up the driveway, I just panicked. And she just threw her shoes on and ran out the door and took care of it for me. So thank you. You're welcome. Yeah. She doesn't have too many memories other than camping and and goofiness to share about Houdini, but she really helped me in the end when I uh, couldn't do that for myself. This episode is to be continued. The next episode will be my interview with Dr. Sam Crosby, and I hope to have that out pretty shortly after this one, and then we will have one more episode talking about bringing them back with therapy. So thanks very much for listening to our story. And if this episode of the podcast helped you at all, please go ahead and send us an email to endurancehorsepodcast at gmail.com. So thank you very much for listening. And I look forward to sharing more information with you in the next two episodes. Ride far, ride well, ride often. And if you're in the Midwest, maybe all you can do in the snow is go out and give your horse a big hug and a kiss because you never
0: know when it's the last time. Bye.